0: Welcome to Extra Virgin, a podcast for gourmands who love to travel and travellers who love good food. I'm Natasha Mirosh. And I'm Sam Donsky.
1: Between us, we've toured and tasted our way around more than 60 countries. Join us now as we meet the passionate people who make travelling the world so rewarding and so very delicious.
0: Hello and welcome. Today we're talking about a type of travel that just may change your life. If you're interested in intentional travel that helps you to learn and grow, this episode is definitely for you.
1: Hey Natasha, we've talked a lot on this podcast about how some of our travel experiences have really changed us and our outlook on the world. There was my time in Central Australia and your experiences on a wildlife safari in South Africa. Did you know it's got a name? It's called transformational Mm -hmm. travel, which means to consciously seek out journeys that can change your life. And did you also know that it's perhaps the strongest trend in travel right now? I knew the first, but I didn't know the second,
0: so that's really interesting. Mm. Yeah, it's all about travelling with the goal of learning, growing and engaging with the world in a way that that leads to real change in your everyday life. So it doesn't just finish after your holiday. And our guest today is going to talk about a retreat experience that he says goes beyond experiential travel to a deeper, more emotional level. Mm,
1: We're talking about guided plant medicine journeys on which you explore your inner world. They promise to accelerate personal growth and help you live life to your full potential through plant medicines, such as ayahuasca and psilocybin. Such retreats are usually set in incredibly beautiful locations too, so we'll be talking about some of those.
0: Well done with those names, Sam. <laughs> Our guest is Jonathan de Potter, founder of Behold Retreats, who build themselves as entheogen plant medicine-based wellness retreats in Costa Rica, the Netherlands and Peru and they offer programs that incorporate high-end therapeutic plant medicine. Welcome, Jonathan.
2: Great to be here, and thank you for such a kind introduction. (laughs) I'm very excited for this conversation.
0: Thank you. Jonathan, various cultures have used psychedelic drugs in religious and spiritual ceremonies for centuries. It's fascinating that it's now finding a place in this era of modern wellness and transformational travel.
2: We now have about two decades of research from the leading institutions you know john hopkins harvard yale um, imperial college in london saint vincent's there in australia yeah it's it's incredible to see that it's almost like we've come full circle you know that the ancient wisdom has now come back and we're finding our way back to these ancient plant medicines that have so much to share with us and so much to show us that we can really learn from
0: can you tell us a little bit about the cultures that use those particular medicines like the ayahuasca <clears throat> and the hallucinogenic cactus used by the Aztecs, etc.
2: You'd be hard pressed to find an ancient civilization that didn't have a component of plant medicine within their tradition. So the ancient Buddhists, there's evidence in the second and ninth century of use of of mushrooms. Um, In the Aztec traditions, as you alluded to, certainly pretty much all of the Central and South American, Native American traditions, equally in the Celtic traditions and Scandinavian traditions. um, Very strong evidence that we have that there was use of, of these substances. And there's even something described as either the, the stoned ape theory or the stoned ape hypothesis, which is that it's not that these plants do interesting things to us, it's that we are as interesting as we are because of these plants. And I understand that there's some research forthcoming from some of the leading institutions that's actually going to provide a, a stronger scientific basis for that hypothesis, which is, which is very interesting and eventually changed the nature of this conversation.
1: In preparation for chatting with you today, I was looking at some YouTube and social media and there does seem to be a strong and growing interest in entheogens, which is another word for psychoactive substances. I found a heap of personal stories from people who've travelled specifically to experience these plants and in 2018, well-respected journalist Michael Pollan, author of The Omnivore's Dilemma and In Defence of Food, delved into the world of entheogens in in his book, which has a really long title, so his book is called How to Change Your Mind, What the New Science of Psychedelics Teaches Us About Consciousness, Dying, Addiction, Depression and Transcendence and it was a number one New York Times bestseller. Mm, it's a mouthful of a title, isn't it? But I did read the book and it's
0: it's pretty interesting, both the author's take on it and the topic itself. Jonathan before we dive into the world of entheogens tell us a little bit about yourself this business is a bit of a departure for you isn't it?
2: It is it is and I'll start way back if that's okay you know I I grew up in Hawaii and I was always surrounded by quote-unquote substances from early in my life growing up in that environment I never saw anything good coming from quote-unquote substances and so from a very young age I kind of had a natural aversion um, to anything that could be described as drugs and so i was very surprised when After I had been in the corporate world for 10 years, I was working in consulting in Hong Kong and chasing promotions and probably drinking a little bit too much. You know, I had objectively had a great life, but I just fundamentally, I I felt like there was something missing. And so I took a year off and traveled through South America and graciously as part of that was lucky enough to encounter a a plant medicine retreat with some very close friends of mine. And and that really was, was transformational for me in terms of providing the platform for just drastic improvements in overall health and well-being. That's really how that has come about for me. And I guess it was so interesting because I actually grew up with very hippie parents and kind of rejected all of that from a very young age. And so it's been a, a bit of a humbling return to admit that, yes, perhaps the Western, the Western world and Western medicine doesn't have everything quite right. And that actually some of the ancient wisdom is now more than deserving to, uh, to come back and, and teach us a few lessons.
1: Actually, just before we get any further, I think that the term entheogen is fairly recent and it was certainly new to me. Can you just explain for us and our listeners what entheogens are?
2: Entheogens are a a class of plant medicines that are hallucinogenic or psychedelic in nature. And one of the major effects of entheogens is that they dampen what is described as the default mode network within the brain. Um, The default mode network is responsible for ego, it's responsible for identity. It's also responsible for depression and anxiety. So depression is when your brain wanders back into the past and is kind of agonizing about something in the past and equally anxiety when your brain is off into the future and worried about something that is upcoming or potentially upcoming in your life. And so what these plants do is that they dampen the default mode network. And under those conditions, um, we see, you know, if if you take a, a Western brain and put it into a MRI machine, what you can see is that the default mode network is highly active. By comparison, if you take a Buddhist monk with 20 or 30 years meditation practice, you can see that the default mode network in the brain is effectively turned off or or very close to turned off. So what happens when people take plant medicine is that you can see that the default mode network is dampened down. That allows for information exchange between parts of the brain that normally do not exchange information. And you can see this within an MRI machine if you're scanning someone's brain. So under the influence of plant medicine, with the benefits of plant medicine, uh, a typical Westerner's brain actually looks much more like a Buddhist monk with 20 or 30 years meditation practice than it does like... <clears throat> the westerner a few hours ago pre-plant medicine and so that that is part of the explanation the neurological explanation for this you know these profound insights and some of the some of the kind of quote-unquote profound insights that come to people is like i should spend my time doing things i like and you go well yeah that's that seems relatively <laughs> self, <laughs> you know how profound that seems relatively yeah. self-evident right. but actually when you when you feel that in your very soul it's a very different sort of experience and, it, and you can bring that back with you to really help you make just incredible positive changes in your life so a bit of a long-winded answer but but ultimately that's what's uh, that's what's being referred to with entheogens and as you referred to earlier you know ayahuasca and psilocybin are certainly two of the most popular but there are literally hundreds and hundreds worldwide
1: so we've touched mm-hmm. on some of the plants that have been used historically um, can you mm-hmm. talk us through those plants that are entheogenic and which cultures use them and why
2: So probably start with some of the softer ones and then move into the more intensive ones. So I I would say that, you know, the softer plants are are psilocybin magic mushrooms. Um, I think they're an exceptional place to start for someone who hasn't had any previous plant medicine experience psilocybin mushrooms can be pretty much found across the globe and there's evidence in any number of cultures uh, of, of use through through ancient traditions so very very widespread the second that i would add that's that's growing in popularity would be the san pedro and peyote cacti um, they grow predominantly through central and south america and they have very strong ties to the ancient civilizations and traditions in those regions and then the other that is increasingly hallucinogenic or psychedelic now is uh, ayahuasca, which is found in Central and South America as well. It's actually the combination of two plants that are brought together in a a very particular way and brewed over the course of of a few days to produce a a very potent brew. Look, there's so many others that we could also list in here, but really those are three of those that get the overwhelming amount of attention. The other one that I would also add would be iboga, which is an African root, and it's probably best known, for its treatments of addiction, you know, whether that's opioid addiction or other addictions, it's, it's proven to be very highly effective uh, in treatment of addiction. It's also a very intensive uh, experience.
0: So Jonathan, while a lot of these things are illegal to ingest in many countries, it means that research is limited. But there have been studies that have shown that these substances may help alleviate things such as anxiety and depression, as you mentioned before. You mentioned your own experience that you've had, which was in Peru. What was it for you that led you to want to try this experience? Where were you in your life at that stage? What was happening?
2: So I'm trying to provide a little of my perspective on the first question before I move to the second. You know, I think in the West today, we have this unhelpful paradigm uh, or unhelpful binary distinction between someone with a mental health problem and someone without a mental health problem and that's actually completely the wrong way to look at this i think we can all improve our mental health and raise our consciousness you know that should be of a high priority to i think just about everyone on the planet so i think at the moment we still kind of feel a bit stuck in this oh i'm okay or i'm not okay conversation which which doesn't actually serve anyone or or the greater good you know i was objectively in a very good place. When I left Hong Kong, you know, I had great friends, a great career, was getting promoted at work in the consulting world, exciting clients, exciting projects, traveling a lot, learning a lot. Life was objectively good, but there was something, uh, I just felt something was missing. uh, And I was like, do I just keep doing this? Do I keep chasing promotions and bigger deals and bigger clients, and is that my life? And so taking that year off, you know, I was in need of something else and I just didn't know what that was. About 11 or 12 years prior, I had a close friend of mine. She's from New Zealand, and I was living in New Zealand at the time. And she went on a one-month retreat, which had ayahuasca as a component of it. And she left for the retreat a very kind of shy, doubtful person, never really had much positivity in her she just full of self-doubt and sometimes it was quite exhausting if I'm to be honest to be around her and that was really as a result I think of of a very traumatic childhood that she she unfortunately had and seeing her having returned after after one month in Peru she had just completely transformed um, she was positive she was outgoing she was hopeful she was you know organizing us to get to the movies and go out rock climbing and head to the beach before work in the morning all this stuff like she just had this like new lease on life that just astounded us. And so at that time, the fact that she had gone on this ayahuasca retreat really anchored deeply in the back of my mind. I I wasn't ready myself personally still for another 11 or 12 years still, but when the topic was raised by friends about 11 or 12 years later, I immediately reflected upon her experience and how she had come back so completely transformed. And I was like, yeah, maybe there's something to this. Let's, uh, Let's explore.
1: So can you talk us through your experience then that, that first time?
2: Yeah, I can. These experiences are overwhelming to a great extent. I think ayahuasca is an incredibly potent medicine and if people are interested in exploring plant medicine, in our modern culture, we have a natural instinct to go towards the most extreme or the most strong, but that's not necessarily the right answer for everyone. I am one of those types of people. And so I gravitated towards a an ayahuasca retreat and the experience itself was incredibly profound. I was shown experiences throughout my life where It was almost like watching your own life as a play where you're removed as the third person. And I was shown, you know, for example, my mother's face and all of the strongest emotions being displayed upon my mother's face. You know, pride and joy and shame and anguish. And then one by one, I was shown specifically how at different points in my life, I had actually caused those emotions in my mother. And, you know, some of those are, are really beautiful moments of, wow, how amazing it is to relive my graduation and, you know, how proud my mother was of my graduation at that moment. Others are just behaviors that you just don't want to see in yourself. And so it's a very, it's a very humbling experience, I would say. You know, one of our advisors calls ayahuasca humble soup, which I think is an incredible <laughs> description. And so you come out of that experience really recognizing how your own mental patterns and your own behavior is effectively the only thing that's limiting you in life. Genuinely, it's not an outside force, it's the inside dynamics within you that are keeping you from your true potential. And so coming out of that experience is just it, it's just so humbling, right? Because I think it, these days, it's very easy to point at things and to say, well, that's to blame for this and this is to blame for that. Whereas to be shown so simply and profoundly that the answers are within and that you are the only thing that stands in your own way, it, uh, really changes the narrative from the Western rationalistic way of thinking.
1: Mm, and I guess that explains why the effects are long lasting. It's not just what happens to you on the day. It moves into your life.
2: I'm glad that you said that because... If you'll excuse my French, I was kind of back to the same asshole that I was before a month later. Um, and so, and so that, was really, that was really the motivation for establishing Behold Retreats, um, is that the overwhelming majority of the benefits that could accrue to people in doing this work are lost. And the reason that they're lost is that they're not well-educated, they're not well-prepared, they're, well they're not spiritually cared for to the extent that they should be. And I was not prepared, I was not educated, I was not very well spiritually cared for during my own retreat. And finally, and I would say even most importantly, they're not well integrated. So you come out having your entire worldview flipped upside down. You know, I went into my first retreat as an angry atheist and I came out something very substantially different. So to have your, your whole worldview flipped upside down requires an incredible amount of guidance and support around you and to be able to help you to integrate the experience and to maximize the benefits to improving the quality of everyday life. You know, I always say to our clients, you know, these retreats are transformational experiences without a shadow of a doubt. But unicorns in the jungle is not everyday life. And so once we return to everyday life and we're surrounded by all of the things that trigger us, right? Our families, our bosses, our relations in life, you know, traffic, all of those sorts of, you know, everyday life demands, it's very easy to revert back to the mental patterns and the overused neural pathways because we've spent decades overusing those neural pathways. And so the real trick, the real opportunity is actually between The end of the retreat and a couple of months down the road, and that's really where we place uh, a great deal of our emphasis and what really differentiates us from the other retreat centers that are out there today.
0: You talk a lot about what's going on in your mind, what's happening to your body when you're going through this experience?
2: It depends. So, psilocybin, I would say, is softer upon the body, and by comparison, ayahuasca is much stronger upon the body. There's with ayahuasca, there's Usually for most people, there's a a purging uh, associated with it, the emotional, physical and spiritual purging that's taking place. So that's that's quite physical uh, in nature. What can help substantially is to have a very clean diet in the lead up to the experience. And if you are well guided, there's so many variables that come in. The medicine itself is variable. The the healers are fundamental to this work. And that's something that's massively underrepresented in relation to plant medicine, is that the healers who are doing this work at a high level are doing energetic work for you to help you really cleanse yourself emotionally, physically, and spiritually such that you can make, get the most out of the experience. But you know, ayahuasca is made up of 463 compounds. And so there's a huge amount of detoxification that is going on. And you know, for my first ceremony, it was pretty much a very physical experience of, of detoxification. For me, it was so intense that I questioned whether I would go into the, the second ceremony I said, look, that was so intense for me. I'm not sure that I can do that for another night. And they said, look, it's part of the process. It's it's perfectly normal. Um, we'll, we'll try to provide you some more spiritual protection this evening. And we recommend you, you get back on the horse. And so I did. And the second ceremony for me was far more profound and beneficial than the first.
0: So, Jonathan, obviously, this experience had a really profound effect on you and you decided to set up the retreats. You obviously saw there was a niche, that there was something missing in the market to support people who wanted to try these kind of experiences. How did you actually go about choosing the countries that you're going to do it in and, and setting up the retreats? What's involved?
2: I guess the first thing that's involved is practitioners that are doing this work at the very highest level. The second aspect is, of course, legality. There's only a small subset of countries where this work is legal. Um, That's changing very quickly. You know, there's a large number of legalization and decriminalization initiatives across the U.S., North America, and Europe as well. And so that is changing very quickly. The other dynamic that's of course important is where do people want to go and so that's kind of guided us towards costa rica ecuador peru netherlands we will also set up in portugal spain and jamaica as well in due course so that's that's uh, work that's underway and so for us we're really foremost guided by practitioners who can do this work at the very highest level and that coincided where of course where it's legal and where people want to go
1: and presumably the other gaps that you were addressing were the preparation before the retreat mm. and then the follow-up.
2: Yeah, that's right. And I think some of these retreat centers, an increasing number of these retreat centers, thankfully, are now offering integration services as well as their retreat experience. The dynamic, though, within that is that you might not connect well or, or have a kind of similar cosmology or background or real affinity with therapist or the coach that comes from a given retreat center and so where we try to differentiate ourselves is to really understand the needs of the individual like why why is it that you're interested in plant medicine what are your motivations what would be a huge win for you in terms of the outcomes from a program and then from that we can kind of solve backwards towards okay well this is the sort of coach or this is the sort of therapist that might suit you these are the different sorts of plant medicine retreat formats that might be interesting these are the different locations and really tailor something that it's quite specific to the needs the goals the preferences of the individual rather than hey here's a retreat center go here for a week and see what happens.
1: What are the various plant medicines guests can use at your retreats?
2: At the moment, we have retreats for ayahuasca, uh, psilocybin, and San Pedro. So our ayahuasca retreats are in Ecuador, Costa Rica, and Peru, and we will have one shortly in Portugal and Spain. Our psilocybin retreats we have in Mexico as well as in the Netherlands. And then for San Pedro, we have a retreat in Peru.
0: Jonathan you obviously have to take good care of your guests and ensure that they're getting high quality medicines where do you source them from who makes them up for you
2: yeah, it's a, it's a great question. It depends is the honest response. There are some countries where the best medicine is readily available. And so that makes things very easy. There are other traditions, for example, the Shipibo tradition, the healers that work in the Shipibo tradition are incredibly particular about the medicine that they work with. And they typically uh, will only work with medicine that they have sourced themselves. And so it's a bit of a variety in terms of the, the source of the medicines themselves. And it depends very much upon which country we're speaking about and which tradition the healers might be working in. So I'm not sure if that answers your question, but, uh, but hopefully it gives you some, some insight.
0: What about the qualifications of your staff at the resorts? We work with
2: a broad variety of different types of facilitators and healers. Now, on one end of the spectrum, you would find the more shamanic, traditional types of facilitators and healers. And these are people who come from lineages that are thousands of of years old and so incredibly knowledgeable in the work that they do. On the other end of the spectrum, you have retreats that are facilitated and hosted in a much more westernized sort of a setting, you know, in, in more white walled and no no further than 50 feet away from a latte machine. Um, So there's very very different experiences that are available for this work. And and the reason that I share that is because part of what we do is to help people self-select into the experience that's going to be right for them. You know, there are some people who who really prioritize the qualifications of X numbers of doctors that are there at the retreat center. There's other people that are, you know, more interested in the indigenous and, and shamanic element of this, and the fact that there's also a doctor at the retreat center is an is an added bonus. Certainly within each of our retreats, there is medical supervision. One of my advisors tells me that we have some of the highest standards in terms of medical screening. So we do exceptionally detailed medical screening ahead. <laughs> of anyone attending one of our retreats to look for any contraindications, whether those be psychological, whether those be physical, or whether those have some basis in medications. So coming back to, to your question, it depends upon the type of retreat. Generally we speaking, we absolutely have uh, medical supervision at each and every one of our retreats.
1: And who are your guests? You touched on the guests just then and their different expectations, but who comes to your retreats and what are their reasons
2: so I'll start with the reasons. Typically, there's kind of five underlying motivations for doing this type of work. The last two are recreational and abusive. So we don't, we don't really entertain those. The other three are one, healing. Um, so people who've had you know traumatic experiences, people who are looking to overcome addictions, unhelpful patterns of the mind, depression, anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorders, a broad range of, of mental and physical to be overcome. So number one is healing. The second is creativity or growth. So those people who are looking to to grow themselves personally and professionally, spiritually, sorry, I'm kind of overlapping two and three there. The third is very much spirituality. So those people who want to develop further develop their connection to source and to grow in their spiritual connection in in that sense. And, you know, for me, having gone into my first experience as an atheist, it it was quite an eye opening one to find out everything about the spiritual realm. And wow, that was really what was missing in my life. So I'm so pleased that I did. So then to come to your second question around who's attending our retreats, you know, the overwhelming majority of people who who are coming through our our website are, are generally people who are, I would say, between the ages of 25 to 55. We've got a few 60, 65 year old guests coming through as well, but quite a broad range. Generally speaking, I would say that people are more open minded. I would say that I've been surprised at the fact that we've actually had quite a number of guests come through that have already worked with plant medicine, but now wanted to take it far more seriously than before. So when I set up this business, I kind of had envisaged, ah, this will be good. This will be a great fit for people who haven't done this before, which absolutely is the case. But we're also getting quite a bit of interest from people who have done uh, a number of plant medicine retreats before, but haven't been able to make that shift in their lives. And so it's been really rewarding to be able to support those types of people. To give you kind of a couple examples, you know, Most recently we've just done two private retreats for a texas ceo you know so one of those gentlemen who does a lot of hunting in his life and um, let's just say he had quite a complicated life and so he's really you know found himself within a a very short space of time through a few very exceptionally facilitated retreats one of which was in ecuador and another in mexico so you know it's, it's very exciting to be able to help people to really find themselves and to bring more beautiful energy into this world and that's really what our business is all about is really just helping people see themselves for the beautiful creatures that they are and to help them find their path with a, and and live every day with a big smile i mean that's what gets me out of bed every morning is to try to help more people
0: it's interesting that you talk about the ages and it sounds like more of your guests are in the younger end of the spectrum the age spectrum in Michael Pollan's book he talks about he quotes some studies saying that actually it's older people who could benefit more from this kind of experience but do you think that older people perhaps are a little bit more closed-minded about trying something like this
2: It's an interesting dynamic. The consultant in me sees this as kind of a two by two matrix, which is on the one side, you've got open mindedness and the other side, you've perhaps you've got age on a two by two. And I would say certainly older people on average have become more set in their ways of thinking, right? So they, they they're now taking more shortcuts in the way that they see the world and they've lost their neuroplasticity. They've done basically some damage to the software of their brain uh, as a result. So I think Michael Pollan's observation is, is absolutely Absolutely right. I wouldn't necessarily say that we're seeing a skew towards the younger population. I would say that the average age of clients that are coming through for us would probably be between... 35 and 45 something something in that in that range so if a 20 year old asked me hey should I go do ayahuasca I would say probably not I think your your brain is still growing you still got a high degree of neuroplasticity I would rather recommend taking up a serious meditation practice and pretty much anyone who goes and takes seriously a plant medicine experience becomes pretty much a lifelong meditation practitioner and so for those benefits that accrue with plant medicine it's for the overwhelming majority, it's very difficult to disentangle the benefits from plant medicine from the benefits from a meditation practice because they're, by and large, the same thing.
0: Mm. In his book, Michael Pollan also says that mindset and setting are quite important when taking these kind of plant medicines. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the resorts themselves, what they like, what the setting is, what people will find when they go there?
2: If I may, if I may speak a little bit about mindset in the first instance, because I think that's such an important component, the mindset and also the commitment that you're making to yourself. And so, you know, I mean, you can find some plant medicine or LSD somewhere down the road that, you know, you pay 20 bucks or 50 bucks and you'll have an experience. But that's not necessarily going to provide you the profound healing that you might be looking for, the profound growth and spirituality that you're looking for. And the reason for that is because of the associated mentality and the associated investment that you're making in yourself. When I first set up this business, I actually had in mind a business model where it would be sort of a, a free and pay it forward sort of business business model where everyone could come on such a retreat for free so long as if they found it to be transformational that they would pay that forward to others but actually that's entirely misplaced because people need to come into this experience taking it very seriously and the best way to make that commitment to ourselves is to actually spend the associated amount so that's kind of the way that most people who are doing this work understand this to be the case and you know this is no different from coaching every coach understands that if you charge $50 for your program you get $50 worth of results but if you charge ten. dollars $1000 for the same program you get $10,000 worth of results because you've got the the attention of the individual and the commitment of the individual so then the second piece is around the the setting so i think These retreat centers do a really beautiful job of bringing a a group of people together. If you're in a position to do this privately, I absolutely recommend that because you can really accelerate your own growth and journey. But typically in a group setting, you've got somewhere between six to 12 people. You know, I hear there are retreat centers that do 20, even 100 people within a single room. Personally, I could not imagine something along those lines. But these retreat centers are really serene, beautiful places, you know, in the jungle of Costa Rica or up in the Sacred Valley of Peru, beautiful lush green properties where you can really reconnect with nature, reconnect with your nature, which is nature and to really, you know, Practice meditation, practice yoga, really kind of set deep and meaningful intentions with yourself, you know, reflect upon your life, your peak experiences, what you're looking for from life in the period ahead and and journaling a lot in relation to that and meditating upon what you want from yourself and, and what you are. And I think, you know, for for people who are in a position to do so, it's a really profound experience
1: you've touched on some reasons the experience might not be for everybody such as even youth (laughs) but what are some of the other contraindications that might make you filter out a person or suggest that it's not for them
2: the physical contraindications are any heart conditions or any previous stroke beyond that the overwhelming majority are, are relatively safe The psychological contraindications are, you know, any sign of psychosis, any sign of schizophrenia. We also screen for that within the broader family so that we understand that dynamic. The other that's um, kind of a bit back and forth is bipolar personality. There's been huge breakthroughs with people who have bipolar disorder, but there's also been, you know, very challenging cases that have come as a result. And then the last category is just making sure that people are on no over-the-counter or no prescription medications because those don't play nicely with plant medicine so those are kind of the three the three prod categories and there's a lot of this work that's done without the necessary medical screening and so anyone who's considering this i would encourage them to take the medical screening aspect super 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 seriously
0: so let's say i've signed up you vetted me and you found that i'm okay to go ahead to do this talk us through a typical guest experience from when i arrive at the resort to when i leave what's going to happen
2: For our retreats, we pick all of our guests up at the airport and um, bring them back to the retreat center. Typically, we prefer to run either seven or 10 day retreats because that really provides a a much more immersive experience. Typically, the first 24 to 48 hours will be free of plant medicine. So people are getting to know one another to kind of exchange past experiences with life and with perhaps other plant medicine. And also to kind of really set deep and meaningful intentions in the lead up to the first ceremony. So there might be some yoga, there might be some meditation, there's usually some preparatory and cleansing practices in the lead up to the first ceremony. And then usually on on the second night, there's a a first ceremony. And that typically kicks off around 6 or 7pm. And the guests will be kind of prepared in a ceremonial setting, and then taking the plant medicine together. And then the plant medicine usually takes effect over the course of say, the next 30 minutes or so. And then, you know, the journey begins at that state. And and obviously the, the strength and duration of the journey depends upon the nature of the retreat, the dosage that's given to the individuals and also the, the plant medicine itself.
1: So across that seven to 10 days, Jonathan, how many actual ceremonies would a guest typically experience?
2: Typically two or three. Um, Often there's three scheduled within a a week-long retreat. If it's a 10-day retreat, it might be four. And what you sometimes find is that after two ceremonies, people are ready to take a little bit of a time out and to do some of the integration work. If it's a 10-day retreat, what we find is that often people go into ceremonies one and two, then they might sit out for number three and then come back in for, for ceremony number four. So the ceremonies are available as opposed to required because everyone's journey is obviously unique.
1: What about afterwards? What happens once the guests have left the retreat?
2: So the way that we work is that each of our guests have a coach or a therapist, or a guide, uh, as it were, in in both the lead up to the retreat, you know, available during the retreat in the sense that they're on call uh, and then post retreat to help them with their integration. So what's really important with the, the integration is to have someone to help you hold yourself accountable to that person that you promised yourself to be at the end of your retreat. Usually a guest has pages and pages of notes about who they want to be, which is just the most beautiful thing because it means that they've made some big shifts in their lives or they've potentially seen some opportunity for some big shifts in their life. And so what's important is on a weekly basis or even a couple times a week to get on the phone and to spend an hour with the guide to really understand how you're going in terms of holding yourself accountable to those changes that you are looking to introduce in your life. The other thing that we also encourage all of our guests to consider is just to wake up, whether it's 30 minutes or an hour earlier each morning and try to do some meditative practices some journaling some stretching some yoga some breath work just to continue on that path because it's not that a one week or 10 day plant medicine retreat has forever changed your life and now your life is perfect this has set you on a path this has opened a door to you and now it's about progressing along this path in more sustainable ways and yes that might mean that you come back for another retreat in six months or a year but again it's when we come across people that say oh yeah I've done you know 200 plant medicine retreats it's like okay well you might be missing you might be missing something here So let's talk about what's going on in your life, because that's not necessarily the answer here.
0: Jonathan, when you're doing this with other people, I imagine it's a strange dichotomy in this case between feeling like you've shared an experience, yet the experience that you're having, you're very much alone in that very personal experience. What are the relationships of the people, the guests afterwards
2: It really depends upon so many different things you know sometimes um sometimes there's a a real opportunity for spiritual practice through people who might be there who who push your buttons (laughs) Um, other times there's like a real soul connection that happens between people and that's that's also beautiful and other times people are going through such a depth of their own experience that they don't really have any room to be making any additional social Connections at that stage. So it really depends upon the context and the individual. You know, for my first retreat experience, there was a 63 year old lady who had been married, you know, 40 years and three grown up kids and six grandkids. And on her first night, she was shown the most horrific deaths of all nine members of her family and then her husband, one after another, after another, after another. And the next morning, she couldn't even raise her head because she was so down and in that experience. Now, by the end of that day, she had recognized that the meaning of that experience was that she was so overbearing and over controlling to every single one of her family members that she was scaring them away from her love because she was such a warrior and such an anxious person and so now having lived through this experience of having seen and felt the, you know the death of all of her loved ones she was able to bring that back into her everyday life and not be that overbearing controlling person and love her entire family from a completely different place and it was the most amazing experience to witness through her and you know she wa- she wasn't able to save her much because of the profundity of the experience but man I mean you could see it in her eyes that she was so excited to go back to her family and to give them you know the biggest hug that they've probably ever had from her.
1: As we said in our intro we seem to be traveling as much these days for education and self-improvement as for pleasure. Are these kinds of journeys and experiences the holidays of the future Jonathan and how does that play into your plans for the future?
2: The first thing that comes to mind for me is is maybe. I think, you know, the marketer in me wants to say, yes, of course, everyone should, <laughs> be. <laughs> everyone should be doing a, a retreat with us as, as their next step. But no, I don't, I don't think that's the answer. I think this is a space that's picking up a lot of momentum uh, at the moment. And what I always say to those guests that we speak to is to ask them to look within. So actually, through our application process, before we accept any application, we actually ask our guests to do a little meditation for themselves and to ask themselves the question whether they feel that they could benefit from plant medicine. You know, this is a very serious subject. This is kind of soul work, as it's often described. And so it's important that people are doing this at the level of the individual. You know, we're, we're growing a business, but we're doing it at the level of the individual. And so equally, it's important for every one of us out there to ask ourselves this question, whether we think we might benefit from this work and to take next steps accordingly. So when people come and say, oh yeah, two of my friends have done an ayahuasca retreat, I wanna do an ayahuasca retreat. It's like, okay, I understand that, but let's make sure that you really understand what you are getting yourself into. And so yes, this probably will grow in popularity over time, but I think it's super important that we ground that in individual education and awareness so that people are really making empowered decisions for themselves rather than following the latest travel trend, if you will. Yeah. So I think that's what I think about in terms of you know the, the growth in this space. The other dynamic, I guess, for me is that we're setting ourselves out to to help people, right? And so these are, unfortunately, these are experiences that are today affordable only for a relatively small proportion of the population. So, you know, there's a real access and legality question that needs to be addressed more globally. So for me, my motivation as we continue to grow Behold Retreats is to begin to shift back to something that's more aligned to my historical career, which is advising and consulting work. So I'm actually in the midst of setting up a consulting firm to actually advise governments on the nature of this work because I think it's very important that governments don't treat this as an adversarial subject, but as a new treatment modality that is of great importance to the overall health and well-being of the civilians within their country. And so very motivated not to push any sort of an agenda from a legalization perspective, but just to play the role from an advisory and, and consulting perspective so that government officials, whether those be health officials, or uh, justice officials are actually educated and aware of, of what this subject represents.
1: Jonathan, it's a fascinating topic and I know we could keep talking and talking but that is all the time we have today. I am very interested in the experience and I think a lot of people will be. Um, mm. yeah. I have to say,
0: reading about it made me feel quite anxious and I still have that <laughs> residual anxiety about, about mm. it and I guess mm. for me it's the, the idea of a loss of control However, I I do feel more secure having talked to you and and quite uh, (laughs) curious also after the bit of reading I've been doing in the last few days about it. It's such a fascinating subject. I'm very keen to learn some more. So who knows, maybe one day we'll catch up in Costa Rica or... (laughs) Portugal or one of the other places that you open
2: beautiful beautiful you know a a degree of apprehension is absolutely healthy in relation to this work anyone who's going into this without any apprehension clearly hasn't done their homework so I think what that feeling is is absolutely healthy the second thing you mentioned that I think is a beautiful place to close is you know this work is all about giving up control or rather the illusion of control that we all have and I can speak from my own personal experience it's it's challenging to give up that control and but but also equally by far the most rewarding thing I have ever done in my life. And so with that illusion of control, shattered life becomes just so much simpler.
1: I can imagine. I can Mm. actually imagine that. Yeah. yeah. Well, (laughs) Well, thank you again, Jonathan.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Well, that's it for this episode. So you can find out more, including the science behind this treatment, we'll put up links to Behold Retreats on our website. Thanks for listening and until next time, Bon voyage and bon appétit. You've been listening to Extra Virgin, a podcast for the Epicurious. You can
0: get more great food and travel inspiration, including stories, recipes, reviews, and more, at our website, extravirginfoodandtravel.com.
1: You can also follow Extra Virgin Food and Travel on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or email us at extravirginfoodandtravel at gmail.com. And if you like what we do, you can support us by buying us a virtual coffee at our website.
0: If you haven't already, go to Apple, Spotify or Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts to download and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please give us a like.